Hi, it's Lynn Galadner, and welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a writer and entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've learned that we succeed through inspiration from storytelling and deep and mutually beneficial relationships. This show began in 2018 after my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and I wanted a way to capture his stories and record his insights. It's grown since then to share stories of how people around the world make meaning from very ordinary pursuits. Now I focus on sharing the stories of writers, authors, and those in the world of publishing to learn how and why we create stories that help us make meaning from the mundane. I'm a former journalist and marketing entrepreneur, and I've been teaching writing for more than two decades. As a writing coach, I help authors build their brands and share their words. If you'd like to write with me, check out my offerings at lynngaladner.com. And you'll find more episodes of this podcast at makemeaning.org, as well as on every podcast platform you can think of. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Make Meaning Podcast. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, it's Lynn. I'm excited to announce that my novel, Woman of Valor, is making its debut September 26, 2023. It would make me so happy if you might pre-order your own copy or email me at lynn at yourppl.com if you'd like to be added to our street team or attend the virtual launch party. This is a novel with a strong female lead. There's lots of romance, deep love, but also betrayal and abuse and ultimately resolution. And if you're curious about the Orthodox Jewish world, you'll learn a lot from this story. I can't wait to tell you more about it. Stay tuned for our September 8th episode, which will tell you all about Woman of Valor, and I hope to include you in all of our book celebrations. Barbara Stark Neiman has written the award-winning novels Even in Darkness and Hard Cider. Her current work in progress is a 17th century European coming-of-age refugee story. Barbara has degrees from the University of Michigan in English, art history, and communication disorders. She writes novels, essays, and short stories, and speaks at conferences, literary events, libraries, and book clubs. She lives, writes, swims, cycles, gardens, and does fiber art in Ann Arbor and Northport, Michigan. Barbara, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You know, I'm so glad I met you through the Women's Fiction Writers Association. Not only did I discover a fantastically talented historical fiction author, but I gained a new friend. And I'd love to start with one of my favorite questions. So tell me, what is your earliest memory of writing? So I wrote a story in eighth grade about my fantasy of a juvenile delinquent in a Detroit high school that only I, the narrator in the story, could possibly understand. And I actually turned that short story in for an assignment, (laughs) but I only got a B on it, which was devastating. But I have to say that really my writing career started with my grandfather, Hmm. who cultivated my storytelling skills. Uh, He was an attorney and a master storyteller. And he cultivated that skill in all of his grandchildren. And we got extra desserts for telling him a really good story at the dinner table. And he did a wonderful job of coaching us in those skills. So that was really, I would have to say that was the beginning rather than my own writing effort or initially. Yeah, that's really special and really frustrating that you got to be like, what is that, right? Yeah, well, I'm sure it wasn't that great. I actually, <laughs> in anticipation of this 
podcast, I dug through and found it. And I thought, you know what, if maybe if I turned that in as a, or if I'd gotten that as a middle school English teacher, yeah. I would have given it an A, but maybe it wasn't high school level. You know, what can I say? I guess. I don't know. I feel like anybody who makes that kind of effort, it's about, I mean, you're still young. Like, you know, let's not... Um, and what not, did I know, right? Right, right. Yeah. But let's not like start out by sending a message that like your writing is gradable. It's like always something in process, right? You know? It is. And that issue around editing, around what's acceptable, around acceptance and around your sense of yourself as an author, something that I've really given a lot of thought to. Mm-hmm. Um and surely it starts right back when we're kids and in school. It's so true. I teach a lot of classes where people come in midlife and they're like, oh, it's a hobby. I never thought I could make a living at it. And so, but like they always wanted to write. And so they come to my classes and say, it's time. Like, what have I been wasting time for? And I yeah. will tell you what this remark, what this sparked in me is when I was in eighth grade, I had to take an art class. And one of our assignments was to to literally trace the Sunday colored comics in the newspaper, you know, that came that there were bigger, you know, cartoons or whatever to trace it. So like, okay, not hard. I got a C. It was like the worst grade I ever got. And so from that day on, I thought like, I'm not an artist. I can't do art, which is so stupid. And when my kids were little, I took them to an art class. It was a painting on canvas. And the teacher was like, why don't you paint it? I'm like, oh, oh, I'm not an artist. And she's like, why do you think that? And I told her the story and she gave me like a canvas and a paintbrush and was like, go. And I'm like, oh my God, this is great. So wonderful. I love that. I love that story. Yeah. Because the stories we're told when we're younger, when somebody's critical of our art can be really inhibiting. Yeah. Creative process, right? Well, can shut down what you think of yourself or what you think you're capable of. And it's really hard to get that back open. Yeah. 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 So back to your writing. So tell me a little bit about how you come to your ideas and and then how you build them out into books. So my first two books are based in family stories that deeply move me, that I thought would move others. And my current book's main character came to me on a bicycle trip from... Mm. Portugal to the Alhambra in Spain, all the way through Andalusia. And this character just jumped into me. And I I was kind of like, wait a second, I'm working on one book. I've got another one sort of in the wings. You've got, you have to wait. (laughs) He did wait. I do a ton of book research. I do, I always travel to the places that my books take place in order to get an authentic sense of place. Mm -hmm. Um, I do a lot of photography. I create scenes in images that I then use in my books. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's really the characters that arise and have to grip me to make their way into my work. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then what's your process for building that out into a book? So you get this great character or this like family story that you want to develop. So just take me through your process, like how you build it out, how long it takes, like what's involved in that, everything. So each of my books has taken a really long time (laughs) to write like years because you know, writing is only one of the things that I focus on in my life. And I really believe that stories emerge at their own pace. 
but my best writing happens when I isolate myself. For me, it's we have a home in northern Michigan and I can spend entire days just writing without any distractions. And I can do that for about a week and then I need to take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a harder time trying to build my writing into the regular schedule of my everyday life. I am not a plotter. I don't mm-hmm. arrange plots and outline and do all of that stuff that some people are brilliant at doing, like for example, when <laughs> I just want to know, I just want to tell you and all our listeners that I was never a plotter and I just became that when I started writing fiction, but I I this is new. And and I actually really like it, but it's not my nature. I've had to learn it. Yeah, so I haven't learned it yet. <laughs> so um, I'm much more of a pantser, but I love the process of delving into my work and seeing where it leads me. I mean, obviously, I think a lot about the craft. I think about building tension. I think about all of those, you know, building characters. I'm sort of known for a sense of place. Mm-hmm. So that's really an important part in both of my books. And I think it will be important in, in this next book. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of what my process is. And so far, so good. That mm-hmm. That's basically, you know, I, I've, I've been fortunate that that has that sort of mishmash of techniques has worked for me. Awesome. That's awesome. So I'd love to hear about your publishing journey. I mean, I happen to know it because we're friends, but I'd love um, for our, our listeners to hear it because, you know, people get really frustrated with how to get published. And so I like to give as many options and different paths that people experience so that people know there's no one right way. So Tell me a little bit about your publishing journey. Well, being an author is an encore career for me. I had a 30-year career as a teacher, a speech and language pathologist. I taught at the university level, and I always, I literally retired in order to give myself the time and space to write my first novel because that was the top item on my bucket list. So this is not something that I thought about doing earlier. I basically stopped doing what I loved and was good at and and was, you know, had a wonderful career doing in order to do this next thing. I didn't feel like I had a lot of time to spend waiting for an agent or then working to get a traditional publisher. And I was very fortunate to early on fairly early on in my the time when I finished a manuscript and wanted to do something with it that I found she writes press and particularly my publisher Brooke Warner it's a hybrid publisher which is something that a lot of people don't know about you invest in the publication of your book it's not self publishing and it's not traditional publishing it's literally in between and so you invest on the front end, you have a lot of control about the way that the book gets published, the way it looks, the way, you know, the print of it and so forth. You still are vetted by the publisher. You do get professional editing, professional cover design and national distribution in bookstores and libraries. And that was important to me because 
I didn't have any of those skills and I really didn't want to take the time to develop them on my own. But particularly what I loved about my publisher is the community of women. It's an all women's publishing group. And it's made the entire process of publication and publicity and marketing much more doable than if I had tried to go it alone or to do that with a traditional publisher where you have a lot less control of those things. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I know that um, I'm glad that you're bringing up hybrid publishing. You know that um, I'm launching the Sierra Scotia Road Books, which is a hybrid publisher. Um, and I think it's a really nice middle of the road option. And there's more and more of it. And it, it's just so nice to see. So did you did you query at first thinking you would go traditionally or did you say, yeah. I want to do hybrid? No, I did. I queried for about six months mm -hmm. and I got some really wonderful feedback. I got asked for full manuscripts several times. Mm -hmm. And at that time, this was like in 2013, 2014, mm -hmm. you know, people were saying, boy, there's a lot of, you know, Holocaust fiction. That was my first book, which mm -hmm. is really, it's historical fiction that happens to be in World War II in Germany, but yeah. I don't consider it Holocaust fiction specifically, but that's kind of where publishers and agents tended to put it. And so I got a lot of wonderful feedback and a lot of, we love this book, but we don't think we can sell it kind of sure. thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm old enough that I just thought, you know what, I'm not willing to wait around. And I'm also, I was, by that time, I'd won some contests with manuscripts and I'd gotten some really encouraging feedback. And I just said, I just think this book needs to be out there. So I'm going to make that happen. Yeah, I love that. And I and I think it's really important what you said about, you know, they couldn't sell it, because that's not really about you. And, and what it shows for me is that, you know, it's a reminder of how this is an industry, it's a business. Yeah. And so when somebody takes you on, it's because they think they can make money off of what you've done. Right. And I think that's a really important distinction for people to hear, because getting rejected or not getting an offer does not mean that the writing is terrible. It might, I mean, there might be some terrible writing out there that gets rejected, but it, it might also be for a lot of other reasons. And I, I think because writing is, you know, it's our, it's our baby. Like we have to, we can't take it personally. Like I had the same responses from agents and I didn't even give it, give it six months because I knew I wanted to do something unique, but it was like, Hey, love your writing. This is a great story. I don't know if I can sell it. And that's fair. You know, it's, it is, yeah. it is. But, and, and another thing it taught me is you know, and this goes to the, the process that you've done as well, is that, look at if I'm going to put the time and effort into managing and shepherding this book through this process, and, you know, putting my own finances and my own time and effort into it, then I don't want to get 10% or 15% of the proceeds, I want to get more if if there's proceeds to be had then why you know but and that you know people are very often willing to just get published to be published but not to experience you know as you said 
let somebody else get the financial gain from it. And especially women, I think the men that I know who've done different things in the publishing domain are much more willing to say, wait a second, Mm -hmm. um, if I'm going to put this time and effort in, then I should be getting advantage. And that in, in the hybrid publishing situation I'm in, in exchange for putting that initial funds on the up in on the front end Mm -hmm. you get a way higher percentage of royalties on the back end yeah and and that 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 was important to me I think so yeah that's awesome so do you have a favorite among your books well I'd have to say that even in darkness is the story of my heart Mm. uh, because the woman who inspired it my great aunt inspired me at a very low point in my life. And it's also my first novel. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's, you know, it's been pretty successful and it's established. It really established the sense that I'm a writer, mm-hmm. and I'm an author, and those are pretty powerful, positive yeah, endorphin producing situation. So I'm, you know, I love Hard Cider. It was an important book for me to write, but I've got to say that I do have one favorite. We'll see what happens with this third book. Yeah. Well, I've only read Even in Darkness and I loved it. I couldn't put it down. And so listeners should definitely get these books and let us know what they think of it. But I think that's important that it just established you and and now you're really building a body of work. And so you can sell a backlist and all those great things, which is which is amazing. So I wanted to hear about how you've built a following and an audience of readers over the years. Well, I did a ton of book events, which Mm -hmm. I love to do with my first book. I do maintain a website. And although I'm not nearly as active on social media as you are supposed to be, I do (laughs) keep up a presence there. I've written a fair number of essays and articles in print and online that I hope create an interest in my work. And like I go to book festivals. Mm-hmm. I I like I like interacting with readers. I always respond if somebody reaches out to me and and like to my great delight and satisfaction, I've gotten a lot of direct response through my website and just through various channels from readers. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that and I always respond to them. Yeah, I love that you're doing events and festivals because there's nothing like being with people in person face to face. And obviously the pandemic put a little bit of a hold on that, but now we're getting back to things. And I love that you can interact, you can have that human connection, which really does deepen the connection to your books because now they've met you and it's like they want to continue that relationship and see what comes next. Exactly. And I do carry around little bookmarks with all of my contact information and I cannot on airplanes, hmm. in line, at, in the ladies' room, <laughs> you know, just uh-huh. anywhere where I get to talking to people and, you know, people like in the hot tub at my gym, someone <laughs> will say, oh, you're an author, what are your books? And I will find that person and hand them. So I'm a little bit shameless about that kind of connection, but I only do that if people express an interest and it's fun and and people do, they, they respond to that. They like it. People like meeting the author of a book that they mm-hmm. have read or are going to read. They yeah. really do. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you know what, how your books have sold? Like, 
Do you have those numbers or is that not the kind of thing that you keep up on? Oh, I do keep up on it. You know, they say that if you can sell 5,000 copies of a book, that's mm-hmm. a successful book. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Um, you know, if you count ebooks and print books, I've sold 12,000 copies of Even Darn Darkness. Wow, that's amazing. I've, I've sold almost 7,000 copies of, or actually almost 6,000 copies of Hard Cider. Wow, um, that's awesome. So, yeah, I feel like. It's. I feel pretty successful. Yeah. Given that I, I'm an unknown author who came to this as an encore career and have done all of the marketing and so forth myself. I did hire a publicist both times when I launched okay. my book, and I'm I you know in another podcast we can talk about <laughs> publicists. Well, talk about it. I'd love to hear it. You know. Yeah, let's hear. No, this is something that, I mean, you do more marketing than publicity. Am I right about that? I do both. You do both. Okay. So, you know, at the risk of not being as supportive as I should, it's been a very hard process to judge the cost benefit ratio of of publicists. Yeah. Um, I love both the publicists that I worked with, but if you had to sit down and say, okay, Given the very expensive costs associated yeah. with that process, it does it does it play out? I'd have to say that yes, but yeah, and the but is yes that you know. I mean, I'm old, so the term <laughs> Rolodex won't make any sense <laughs> to many people. But you know, in the old days, you had a, this rolling thing of cards of people with their contacts in it. Yeah. You hire publicists for their Rolodex, for yeah. who they have contact with, who they can help you get seen by. Yeah. And I will say that for both my books, I think I did as much as my publicist did to make myself. There were a couple of hits that there's no way I would ever have gotten on my own. Mm-hmm. And then there were a ton of things that I suggested or did get on my own. and mm. and. And so it's just, I mean, I wouldn't give up the relationship that I had with those two people because it really helped me again, because I didn't know what I was doing the first time at all. The second time I knew a little bit more, but I, to me, it was like paying tuition. Yeah. Now the marketing on the other hand Mm -hmm. is something that I really also don't know much about and that all the help I can get, I welcome. Yeah. So it's, but, you know, this is just, again, I'm not from the media savvy, social media savvy, computer savvy generation, Mm -hmm. Um, although I've learned quite a bit. You're pretty good. You're pretty good. I'm not bad. I'm not bad. To me, it's a very interesting area of consideration. Yeah. And I've been particularly impressed with you because you are such a self starter and a self learner, you know, I mean, I have a lot to learn from you. That's very sweet. And it's a very mutual feeling because I'm so impressed by your writing. It's so beautiful and interesting. And I just, and you know, I just, I'm excited to be on the journey and, and part of your circle. So it's a mutual admiration society and we can keep having this conversation. I have lots of opinions about 
the return on investment for publicity, which we don't have to go into now. We can talk about that offline when we're critiquing each other's work. Yeah. But it is a big question and maybe I will devote an episode to it at some point in the near future. Um, So thank you for that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So tell me a little bit about what's on your writing horizon and um, like what's next. And then also I'd love to hear if you have like an overall vision for your writing career. So Part one, part two of that question. So I am working on a third novel that I really want to finish, as you well know. Yes. And beyond that, I haven't thought about other projects, which is really interesting because in the past, before I could even think about finishing one project, the next two projects were on the horizon. So that's kind of a new thing for me. I've written some essays that some of them are percolating, some of them I have published already. But that's that's basically I'm I'm mostly focused on this novel that I'm really enjoying writing right now, but it's not moving as fast as I wish it would. Uh-huh. But I, I but I'm enjoying it. And in terms of advice and sharing with other writers, if you know you want to write, just start. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to summon the courage to just say, this is this is something I want to do. And so make it happen, mm-hmm. you know, sort out the plan. So four years before I retired, I said, four years from now, I'm going to be retired. And this is what I have to put in place in order to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And this is my four-year plan during that time So I kind of knew I couldn't start writing this novel while I was working full time and devoting myself both to a career and raising children. And Mm -hmm. I just knew for me, I mean, some people could do that. I could not. But I did know that there were certain things I could do. Like, for example, I inherited 100 letters written in German from this great aunt that I wrote my first book about. So I started translating those letters. And that's, you know, they could do those in little pieces and it, and it made me feel like I was working towards something. So having a plan was really important. I'm not a real big risk taker, but perhaps I could have taken a little more risk a little earlier. I'm not sure that that would have worked because again, I, you know, I have a pretty busy life. I had a pretty busy life and still do, but I do believe in those baby steps and that they really meaningful and they build and they make you feel like you're working towards something. So start with what you can do now and build to what you'd like to do eventually. And then I really believe that everybody has to trust their guts. Don't let other people discourage you. We both have those experience of, of having let someone discourage us. Yeah. Um, don't let other people overly influence you really investigate your guts and say, what did you know, you want to do this thing? How can you make it happen? And there, there's an element of feeling the joy of it. Mm -hmm. So when I started doing those letters, just finishing one letter just made me feel wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so I had that little space of feeling this is contributing to this goal. That's really important to me. And then finally, just Find other people to share that process with. If it's a writer's group or a critique partner, writer can, writing can be very isolating. It can be a lonely process. 
but it doesn't always need to be. And, you know, find people that you trust that you can be your writer self with and just dwell there whenever you can. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you that. I'm so glad you got to it because I think it's so important to just join groups and meet other writers and find the ones that you fit with. So can you talk just a little bit about that, about like how you have found writer friends or people who are at the same level and stage of writing as you and what what have been sort of your most fruitful pursuits in that regard? My first and longest standing writing partner is the woman who cuts my hair. Ah, love it. And you know, you know what it's like when you're sitting in that chair, you talk, you know, you talk about everything. And, you know, we'd been knowing each other. I mean, she cut my hair, she cut my husband's hair, she cut my children's hair. We'd known each other forever. And one day, right around that four years prior to my retiring, um, I just said, you know, Patty, what you know, you, you know, guess what I'm thinking of doing. Mm-hmm. And I told her and she dropped the scissors on the floor. Yeah. And she said, I cannot believe this. Why? Because she'd been a closet writer, <gasps> had nearly a full manuscript done. I mean, it was shocking. I had no clue. She had no clue. And so I said, all right, we're going to be a writer's group. And so we formed one and then we brought two other people in and that worked for about 10 years. And then for one reason or another, it worked until it didn't. She and I still worked together as a writer group and brought yet another person in. And then this wonderful person named Lynn Galadin reached out to me and said, (laughs) oh, I saw you know, the women's fiction writing group that you're interested in having critique partners. And that works is if there's a known joint trusted platform that you can reach out to another person. And then of course you live in the place that I grew up and we have all these other connections. So yeah. um, Yeah. Like swimming, like we're going to go swim and, and then write together. Right. Exactly. Not and then, you know, I go to my sisters and sit down at dinner and who's sitting next to me but your best friend. I know. That's very weird. Anyway, (laughs) I love it. So it it was meant to be. It was like, you know, the universe was pulling us together. And I'm so glad that that happened. I think it's amazing. So Yes. Yes. It's been it's been delightful and I'm looking forward to it continuing to be delightful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Barbara. I'm so glad to have you here on the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm going to share all of your information and links to buy your books and everything in the show notes. And I just want to thank you for being on the Make Meaning Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been delightful. And thank you to everybody out there. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngaladner.com.